breaking up with your phone, and how a program provider can be a valuable partner, even when you're a local expert. That and much more in this episode of Innovating Faculty-Led Programs. Welcome to the Innovating Faculty-Led Programs podcast. I'm your host, Soren Peterson. My guests today are Sam Breyer, founder and director of Academic Experiences Abroad, and Jamie Andrew, head of program development. AEA focuses solely on customized faculty-led programs, and I have partnered with them for programs in a variety of locations, including Cuba and Ghana. Regardless of your experience level or role with faculty-led programs, I invite you to join the conversation and let us know what you think about today's episode. You'll hear more about that at the end of the show. Well, welcome to the podcast. So start by telling us a little bit about who you are, who AEA is, and how you got started. Uh, maybe I should start with that. My name is Sam Pryor. I'm the director of AEA. AEA stands for Academic Experiences Abroad. And back in 2005, I guess, I flash back, I was trying to think of a name and all the other companies out there kind of had acronyms that sounded something like something, something international or something, something abroad. So I thought what I really wanted to accomplish was exactly this, you know, academic experiences abroad and uh, just stuck with it. So we go by AEA now. I have a history, I suppose, in education and travel. And that's why I started the company back in 2005 after living in Asia about uh, 10 years. I could go on forever about how I started this business and why. Um, maybe the first thing would be to say that I lived in Asia, as I said, but I started on the JET program. And that was a really important part of my history uh, because I had never been to Asia. And the JET program was teaching English in Japan. So I spent two and a half years there, which uh, was kind of the beginning of my stay in Asia. And AEA started with a focus on Asia. And since then has expanded to offer you know, programs in about 100 countries. So that's been a long road coming, but that was the beginning. Yeah, so my name is Jamie Andrew. I'm the head of uh, program development at AEA. Um, I was actually lucky enough to have a faculty for a father. <laughs> um, and he taught in hotel and restaurant management at Penn State. And he actually created a five-week undergraduate summer study abroad program when I was about five years old. And I got to go with him quite a few times, which was pretty exciting. Um, so I would say that's where it started. I studied abroad in college in Italy. I love international travel. I always have. And I was actually working as an educator for quite a while in Portland, Maine, where I live now. And a mutual friend of mine and Sam's who I went to grad school with connected us. I was going to grad school for cultural sustainability. I was ready to move my career in a slightly different direction from being an educator and really wanted to get into the field of international education and study abroad. I started working with Sam just like five hours a week in the beginning, and here I am, <laughs> four years later. So Cool. So out of curiosity, what yeah. was it like to be a child on a, on a program <laughs> with your um, It was awesome. <laughs> I was like a little superstar because, you know, I was a little kid and all the students were 18, 19, 20 years old. And so they loved to play with me and, I'm um, sure. you know, all of that. And it was great. And got to do all the fun things. <laughs> yeah. It was great. <laughs> cool. Um, okay, so what excites you the most about the work that you do, not just with AEA, but with education abroad in general? 
mean, like I said, I've always loved traveling to other countries, and I've also always loved meeting people from other countries who are here or around me, and just learning about all the different ways people live and do things and see the world. You know, for me personally, having that new kind of awareness about other places and people in the world and my own life is so exciting. And I love seeing groups and students and all the people that we work with experience that too. That makes me so happy. I also love connecting people, seeing people come together and start to understand each other a little bit more um, on both sides, not just with our groups, but with the communities that, you know, we take them to and they visit and just trying to make our world feel a little bit more connected. Yeah, that's definitely a part of the ethos, I think, of our company. And the reason that I started it was because we had, well, I actually had such great connections overseas and I loved meeting the people that I became great friends with over time. And sometimes it takes time to make strong relationships and deep connections and good friendships. And I just thought, man, it would be so cool to be able to give these experiences to people who are there for a short time. Staying in touch with people now is so much easier, you know, than back in the 90s and the 80s when I was first getting started traveling. And, and, and I, I'm jealous of everyone traveling now that they can stay in touch through WhatsApp or, or take photos with their phones and, and instantly share with people that they've just met. But it still isn't easy meeting people when you travel abroad. And I love arranging those meetings. Um, one of our, actually our very first group, um, and I think it was 2007, we had our first group uh, with Rice University and they went to China and India, but then we arranged several groups for them. Over the years, one of the groups went to Vietnam uh, three years in a row, and they ended up having a meal with my family, my wife's family, who still lives in Saigon. That family is still hosting dinners for some of our groups, and some of our groups come back and say that was like the highlight of their program because it's such an interesting experience and so hard to have on their own. Yeah, that certainly is an experience that you don't get as a tourist, generally speaking. Yeah, definitely. And we love arranging those types of experiences when we can for, for our groups, you know, whether they be meetings with businesses or with communities or interactive experiences or service learning or even just meeting with local businesses on the streets when you're walking by and someone has a question or stopping off on the side of the road in Ghana on your way somewhere and watching someone make um, palm oil from the palm trees uh, for his living right there and being able to talk with them. And uh, those are things that we just really like to do is to be extremely flexible. And, and to me, that's exciting. You know, it's exciting to make people uh, happy with their experience, um, to give them opportunities that they never would have. And then to stay in touch with them. I mean, some of our, I'm still close friends with our very first clients back in 2006 and seven. Um, and also all the people we work with around the world, it's pretty exciting to have a, a network of in a hundred countries of, of people who love doing the same thing. So I want to go back to something you said at the start of that, which is how much technology has changed since, uh, since your first experience. And when you were talking, it kind of took me down memory lane as well, thinking about my own undergraduate study abroad experience and how much technology has changed. Thinking specifically of technology, what challenges and opportunities do you think that creates in particular for faculty-led programs? 
I think one of the biggest challenges, regardless of the technology that we have now, is trust. And that's a big reason that people do come to us is because they trust that we're going to do a good job and they're going to trust that we have the right contacts to make things happen. Whereas you can get on the internet and you can hope you're finding the right person or the right people. Things may not turn out the way you want them to. Uh, so I still think that trust is, is a bit of an issue these days. Even, you know, in the, and I think in some ways the internet makes it even a little more difficult at times to know uh, who to trust and when. But I think that technology has been fantastic you know, for so many reasons. Um, you know, one of them has been that, that I think technology hasn't really solved, that, that I wish it would. But you know, airline bookings, I think that's one of the ch biggest challenges that we have had over the years and our clients have had over the years. And people come to us and they want to, they want a one-stop shop most of the time. And I would say we book group flights for about half of our groups, maybe. We've had to kind of find the best way to do it over the years. And uh, we've worked with some of the group booking companies that are out there. And it just turned out that, you know, really we get the best deals for our groups when we book them ourselves. And so we've we created a nice system for ourselves to to do that. Funnily enough, though, it's, it's not really, technology really hasn't helped that much. I mean, we literally still call the group desks. They send us emails, uh, but still in the end, it has not been extremely simplified, I think, uh, which, you know, maybe someone's developing something that will really help that. But I think the cost in the end is the key for some of these challenges uh, like airfare and other things. And sometimes it's, you got to go old school to some extent to, to make it happen, I think. If I could just add on to real quick, I think sure. the technology piece is just never, a, it's never an easy answer and that it's definitely helpful or harmful or, you know, I mean, I was really actually resistant to get a, to get a smartphone um, for a very long time. <laughs> and I eventually got one and now I love it. But, you know, I think as there are more apps and things that can really help groups stay safe, stay connected, um, and also even engage with the places where they are. I think there's a lot of really exciting companies and apps that are doing things where you can do an interactive food tour, you know, in Berlin on your phone and stuff like that. I think there's a lot that's really exciting about that. But I also feel like to the same degree, we just don't want our groups to be on their phones the whole time, you know, because they're going somewhere to be in that place and to talk to people and to be totally present. And it is really hard when you're thinking about your Instagram picture and what it's going to look like, you know, I mean, but it's fun. And I, I totally do it myself, too. So I'm not saying it's bad, but I do think it is a complex and sort of double edged sword where, you know, we try to find out about really helpful, innovative solutions to things like you know, our groups being able to message each other on their phones when they don't have cell service, but they have Wi-Fi or, you know, things like that. And that's mm -hmm. really great. But we also don't want them, you know, like on Facebook the whole time, <laughs> you right. know, they're in Thailand or something. So. so what advice would you give to faculty leaders about how to convince students to use the technology maybe in limited ways and be present where they are? I have a short answer for that. Okay. And then can maybe take the long answer, but I read a fantastic book called How to Break Up with Your Phone. <laughs> oh, nice. He bought, copies. he bought copies of it for all of us. <laughs> I did. It's, I mean, it's a simple idea, but it's written really well. And it's not to totally break up with your phone, but it's, it's to use your phone 
the way you want to use it and not let, not to let your phone use you because these phones really were developed to be addictive. There's no doubt about that, that they are. And the book kind of starts off with a funny, a funny quiz to take and, you know, to see if you're addicted to your phone essentially. And it says, you know, if you've answered three out of 10 of these or so, you're, you know, you're borderline an addict. And if you've answered, you know, eight out of 10, which for the most part, then you have a serious addiction problem and you should seek help. And, wow. and people have <laughs> probably do all of them that are on the list. It, it's just a very good book. Um, and, you know, I, I really took My screen lot. time has reduced since I read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and yeah. You know, I, I do think that one of the keys really is the social media and some, especially the younger generation, um, well, and older generations too, are, are pretty addicted to it. And that can take a lot of your time and definitely your attention away from what maybe would be more helpful. I don't know if it would fly, but faculty could ask students to like literally put their phones away or turn them off, you know, and like just not use them or something like that. I don't know, you know, probably would depend on the group, but for a certain amount of time each day, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know, that might help. They might, they might go with it, go for it. But. <laughs> right. So it sounds like you're suggesting that one of the ways would be to, at the beginning, establish some expectations about using phone and when to put it away and things like that. And say why too, not just right. like this, you know, rule they're imposing, but say, right. we really want you to pay attention. And, you know, if you're looking down, you're not looking up and around and out, you know? So. Yeah, exactly. I have heard the term of generation heads down. And sometimes I look <laughs> up realizing that I'm a part of that generation. Oh, yeah. And, and it does take an effort. Definitely. You know, when I'm on the plane and I, I do fly quite a bit, I make a point to never have my internet connected, which now they're making it easier and easier, all free text messaging and this and that, but I still don't do it. I just make sure that I am, I'm, if I might listen to a book on my phone or I might watch a movie on the, you know, behind the headrest of the seat in front of me, but in general, I try and really stay offline for those three hours or 10 hours or 20 hours that I'm on a plane. And, and I find that it really does connect me, you know, back to other things like reading a real book, talking to the person next to me if they don't have their headphones on, you know, playing cards, even if it's solitaire with a real deck of cards. Someone even commented on it, last, commented to me the last time I was on a plane and I pulled out a deck of cards. He looked at me in bewilderment and he said, wow, you're playing with a real deck of cards? That sounds like such a novel idea. That. He's like, I haven't seen that in years. You, know? <laughs> you want to play a game? You know, we, I think we play or something. It was great. So what would you say to a faculty member who's thinking about partnering with a program provider for the first time? And in particular, you know, maybe why should a faculty member work with you? Not necessarily AEA in particular, but, but a program provider or partner such as AEA. Yeah, we've had faculty over the years who, you know, um, who aren't too keen to try working with someone else because they built their program from scratch and they're used to doing everything themselves and they're worried maybe that we're not going to let them do the things that they want to do. And I think um, one, of the, one of the main things that we try and communicate right away is that it's your program, it's your students, it's what you want it to be, and we're here to just do whatever you need. If you've never been to Cambodia, or Argentina, and you want us to develop the program from scratch, great, we can do that. If you have some connections and you want to arrange your own meetings, great. If you want us to just implement the program that you've done for the past 15 years, but you know it takes a ton of time on your end to arrange those meetings, to 
arrange the hotels and the transportation and the guides and everything that takes so much time. If you want us to take that away from you and help solve that problem, then we'll do that. And if you want us just to handle like a three-day excursion somewhere or accommodations and transportation and 24-hour assistance and insurance or airline bookings, I mean, we do that too. So we try and make it as clear as possible that it's your program. We'll do whatever it takes to help you in the ways that you want it want to be helped. And and that's that. If there are any situations where, where it might make sense for a faculty member not to work with a provider? I don't think so. Um, but I mean, I, what you what you just said sounded like you in particular are really flexible about doing anything from just a small part of it to the entire thing. Right. And I just think right. that I think that the value that a partner like AEA has to offer is immense. And just from the support of not spending all your time doing minutia, you know, I mean, faculty have articles to write, they have their students they need to recruit and talk to um, and to educate. And I mean, just to give you an example, uh, and it, it may be kind of a far flung one, but it happened. And we, we had a faculty member who did not want to work with a third party. And um, the university was really trying to move all of their faculty towards working with them for liability support. You know, I mean, well, just liability coverage, I should say, support in the country in case anything happens. Um, you know, a lot of faculty don't think they're going to get sick, but sometimes they do. And then what's the backup plan? And we, we did have this one faculty who really didn't want to, but he was going to meet our team in South Africa that summer. And... Um, and we were just going to see what we could do for him. If it was just part of the program or, or not, I really recommended that he not drive the bus that he was driving for you know, the past 10 years because he's South African. He's very comfortable with it. But you know, in terms of liability coverage and in terms of safety, and he was the only faculty going down there, I thought, what if something happens to him? You know, like, who knows what else is going on? What are the students going to do? Right. And, um, and so what happened is that the study abroad office contacted me about a month before the program went and they said ah you know um, something came up the faculty actually uh has a you know medical condition and, and is not going to be able to go on the program and we have 20 students photojournalism students who are super excited they've been doing all this research for their program can you implement the program for us and so we took it over and it was a bit of a mess, you know, working on because like he pretty much knew everything and no one else really knew much right. about the program. Um, and there were tons of meetings that he had arranged. Um, and we had to find out who those people were and we had to, you know, connect with them and make sure everything was on tap. And we had to also make, get a bus and have a driver and a guide and all these other things that weren't in place. And that all worked. It all came together. And we, one of the and then they, they ended up going back the next two years as well, where we arranged it with a faculty as well, but uh, where we were the support. And I just think that you just never know sometimes what's going to happen in some support, even if it's just having someone down there that you can talk to in case something comes up. Like even that, I think, is worth it, if nothing else. I obviously, you know, I'm all agree with all everything that Sam was just talking about in terms of having, you know, backup and someone else in case something happens to faculty. And even in less extreme situations where everything does go smoothly, I think there's also a huge benefit to working with the provider for the faculty because I'm assuming pretty much all the faculty who are doing faculty-led programs are doing it because they're really excited about the course material, they're excited to take the students to the country and teach, right? Like that's, that's the point. 
I'm right. guessing they're less excited about booking hotels and figuring out the best type of vehicle for the size of the group and their luggage and, you know, what time everyone's arriving at the airport and, you know, all of those things. It's like, that's not why they're doing it, you know? So to me, it just kind of makes sense, even if it's just those small things to let us, you know, handle that stuff so they can put their energy, their time and their focus into, you know, the learning and the teaching because that's what I'd want to do. <laughs> right, for sure, but, for sure. Yeah. And I, I can tell you that recently I have learned way too much about charter buses within the United States. <laughs> One of the faculty led programs that I've been working on, where we don't have a program provider. And um, I've learned things more than that you I wanted didn't to. Know, I didn't know. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 There's a lot that goes into the logistics for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So you've, you've worked with a lot of different institutions, a lot of different faculty members, a lot of different programs in lots of different places. What are some of the innovations or interesting things that you've come across over the years that you've thought were particularly successful or noteworthy? I might take this in a slightly different direction. I'm not okay. sure, but, but um, you know, one of the things that, that we've, we've instituted recently is uh, trip cancellation as a part of our healthcare policy that we get for the groups. And we are starting to include this with all of our new program requests and some of the ones that from the past, but, but it's really affordable and is kind of a no brainer to include this trip cancellation, trip delay. It also includes mental health coverage, um, health evacuation, security evacuation. We're also, um, getting a kidnap and ransom policy just in case. You know, in the past, it's been really hard for people, I think, to afford a trip cancellation policy in case their health or the health of their parent or family member um, changes. Or a big snowstorm. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's lots of reasons, right? And, um, and some of those policies are like $100 or $150 uh, in addition to a health policy, whereas now, with the policy we have, you can go for, you know, like a two week trip will, will be about less than, what is that? Less than, uh, less than $20. Yeah. Like 20 bucks or, or something like this. So $25 or so. And, and I think that's really fantastic to, to have that option and, and the support that that insurance includes in terms, like if you have a mental health problem with a student or faculty member or anyone, a spouse, anyone that's on the program and they need to talk with someone there's uh, on-call 24 hours a day assistance to talk with a qualified health professional. And if you need to go home because of that, they will send you home. They will actually fly someone from Chicago down to pick you up and take you home if that's necessary. So I do think that that is something that we didn't see even five years ago, really. Um, at least I didn't see it. But you know, that's just one type of, I think, improvement. Uh, that It's not even really technology. It's just that this is an advantage uh, that that's out there now um, that we should we, you know that we should take advantage of. It's a service we should take advantage of now. Yeah, the services are I think tailoring a lot more to the different types of programs and things that people are doing. And I feel like even just in the last four or five years, faculty-led programs have exploded so much. Something I've noticed is um, the content and the faculty planning the programs are getting to a point where they can plan these incredibly specific and really interesting programs. And, you know, I'm the head of programs. That's kind of where I like to geek out is the initial planning process where we're like, what are the academic goals? What are you studying? Where can you go? What kinds of experiences can we set up that are really going to 
you know, get into the meat of what you're learning about. And I think as time goes on, it's like we get, you know, more and more connections with more and more people. The faculty get better at learning how to do faculty-led programs. And you just get these programs that are so exciting and interesting and specific. You know, it's like we have a group going to Scotland to study um, how their genetic research is impacting the day-to-day healthcare system and like medical practices in the hospital. So it's like, that's so specific and so cool, you know, and that's something that is really cutting edge in Edinburgh in Scotland where they're going. And so I just, to me, you know, I've always loved learning in general and it's just so exciting to me to see these types of programs happening, you know, and being able to help them happen. It's like, really fun and exciting. I remember years ago seeing, I think it was at Michigan State, there was a a faculty-led program that was something like food packaging in Sweden. And that was one of the first times (laughs) that I got a really specific uh, program idea that as Mm -hmm. opposed to what I kind of grew up with in the field, which was language programs. So so it's nice to see more and more of those. Yeah, and in different disciplines too, like engineering, you know, Mm -hmm. and chemistry and some of the less traditional study abroad you know, disciplines. It's like, yeah, I mean, those things, everything is happening all over the world. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let's go learn about it everywhere. You know, we've also uh, started working with TripLoop to um, help with communications that Jamie mentioned briefly, where you can talk with your group offline. Uh, I think it's within like a, a mile radius. They, they expanded it quite a bit. I can't remember if it's that far or not, but it's pretty far. And also- They call it an online mesh network. It's like using Wi-Fi and Bluetooth or something. Oh, okay. um, Which is cool. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. That you can locate people if they're um, away from the group or you know if someone's not responding it or if there's an emergency, if there's an earthquake, then you can reach out to everyone to make sure everyone's safe and there's like a, essentially a response that comes back to your system and you can see where everyone is. Um, but it also includes a, like a really nice itinerary integration and uh, we're working- a map with all like the sites on it, like an actual Google map type thing. Yeah, so it's, it's, also, it's a really interesting um, tool that we're starting to use for our groups as well. Um, so there are, there's tons of innovations, I think, in so many different ways. Very um, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, Soren. Yeah, thanks for having us. The Innovating Faculty-Led Programs podcast and its companion blog is intended to be an engaging, inclusive community for both education abroad professionals and faculty. So regardless of your experience and role with faculty-led programs, I invite you to join the conversation. Let us know your thoughts about today's discussion. What opportunities and challenges does technology present for faculty-led programs? How do you set expectations with students for using technology and being present? How have you partnered with customized program providers? What topics would you like to hear about on future episodes? To join the conversation about this episode, go to iflp.cc slash 002. Please also feel free to send comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes to podcast at innovatingfacultyled.com. If you would like to join me on a future episode, or if you want to suggest someone else as a possible guest, let me know that as well. Until next time, thank you for listening.